Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of the Snake Oilers podcast series. My name is Patrick Gray. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar in these Snake Oilers editions, we get sponsors to come along and pitch their stuff and that means everyone you hear in one of these editions of the show paid to be here. And we're going to hear from three vendors in this edition, Sublime Security, Volncheck and Devicey. Sublime Security makes a security uh, email security product that lets you actually write your own rules. Volncheck provides vulnerability intelligence to very large enterprises, uh, governments, and security vendors. And Devicey can run your devices with their product slash service that uses Microsoft Intune. So they manage your devices via Intune, via a whole bunch of tools that they've built. And uh, they're being backed by Microsoft these days too. So we'll be hearing... A little bit about that later on, but let's get into it now with our first snake oiler, Sublime Security. So uh, they're an email security vendor that is a little bit different. You know, the undisputed leader in email security by revenue is Proofpoint, uh, which is a major sponsor of this show. They are a gargantuan company that takes the raw sewage that is inbound email and turns it into water that you can shower with. Now, it's not water that you can drink, but, you know, it's much, much better. And Proofpoint does a better job than the other majors, which is probably why they're rolling around in a giant pile of money. But... The jumbo email security companies like Proofpoint are black boxes. You can't push your own detection rules to them and troubleshooting false positives can be a bit tricky. So, you know, if one of the majors is doing something you don't like, then tough, basically. Uh, But that's what Sublime Security's product is for. And uh, you can go and play with it right now for free. You only pay for it if you want the more advanced uh, enterprise features. The core version is totally free. I've linked through to their uh, features page where you can see all of the stuff you can get for free. Uh, Now, you can deploy Sublime as a cloud service or on-prem. And the idea is that organizations that want to be able to actually tune their own email detections can do so. So this is a very modern whiz-bang detection-as-code type of platform. uh, And it's absolutely something that's going to interest a bunch of the people listening to this podcast. So here's Sublime's co-founder, Josh Kamju, with a pitch on Sublime Security. Yeah, so Sublime is an email security platform that's primarily used to prevent email-based attacks like BEC, malware, ransomware, credential phishing. The big thing that Sublime does differently to address those threats is that we do everything with detection as code. So underlying all of our analysis and detection is basically this transparent layer of detection as code that's used to describe the threats. Traditionally, email security has been for the past like, you know, 20 years, basically you plug in this black box and we've had varying levels of black boxes over the past 20 years. And we are kind of changing that dynamic and we do everything with detection is code. If I had to think of a way to describe like who this is for, it's if you have a detection engineering team, like this is for you. I would say that that's where it gets really interesting if you want to do if you want to like tailor custom detection content for your team and you I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that group of people exclusively but for that group yeah. of people it's a no-brainer I guess is where I was coming from Yes like. exactly so like you've got companies that are doing detection engineering and threat hunting in like all of these other areas 
of their security stack. And we provide the ability to do that same thing in the email space. Yes, exactly right. So what about for the people who aren't doing their own detection engineering? Why would they choose something like Sublime over one of the major cloud you know, uh, email security companies? Yeah, so um, a few reasons. So when you turn Sublime on, you get all of the detection content written by our detection and ML teams out of the box. So you can basically just turn that on and it will cover the you know majority of the attack surface that you are worried about. Um, and so you basically turn that on and it's like any other you know email security product. And then on top of that, what you get is the ability to you know, tune things if you want to, because everything is transparent. You also get the power of the community. A lot of our detection rules are open source on GitHub, and there are private feeds that are also on GitHub and people that share detection content for emerging threats. And so you can plug those into your email environment as well and kind of harness the power of the security community, which, you know, we do that pretty like relatively well in other areas yes. of security again right like so Sir like Carter and whatever and like Sigma yeah, and all yeah ex- all there's so many like snort signatures and suricata signatures and sigma rules and all of these things that are being shared um you know like semgrep we are basically giving folks the ability to collaborate better and leverage the community in email. Where is that collaboration taking place? Is there like a customer discord or Slack or something where people hang out and they say, whoa, we've just noticed like this big campaign started. It's slipping through this particular detection. You can tweak it this way. Or I mean, is that kind of how the collaboration's working out? We, we definitely do have a Slack community that's, that's open. Um, so you, there is a lot of good discussion around detection content there. There's also a few other places it goes down. So, um, all of the sharing can happen basically peer to peer and um, it, it can be operationalized very quickly, I should say. So you don't have to like copy and paste a rule. You can basically just paste a link to a GitHub repo and it'll automatically slurp all that detection content up and operationalize it for you. <laughs> that's you, pretty, I got, got, I, that's cool. Being able to drop a GitHub link into your console yeah. and it just like imports the detection. Yeah. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, It's pretty sick. Can you do that in like a test detection mode to make sure it's not going to break anything yep. before you hit the go live button? I'm guessing that's part of it, right? Absolutely, yeah. Because ingesting random GitHubs and it's like, oh no, it's blocking everything from <laughs> you know Hotmail. Oops. Yeah. So so by default, actually, when you like create you know like a new detection or whatever, it's passive by default. Um, and so e- even when we deploy, you know, like if you're gonna like run Sublime, everything starts out passive, and then you can decide when you're ready to. Um, start auto remediating things. The other really cool thing that we do is we will take that detection and we will run it over historical data really, really fast. So we, we take the detection and we actually transpile it to SQL and we run it over historical data. So we can tell you, you know, sometimes instantly you've actually seen this attack, you know, historically and, and it's sitting in this using the CFO's mailbox and um, you might and then you can remediate post delivery. So if you basically want that capability, then we will um, we support like retention settings. So you could say. I don't want that at all, or I want one day of that. I want seven days of that. I want 30 days of that. And, um, and then there's a tight, you know, model around storing that. So like you could put that in your own cloud environment. And so there's like tight controls around all that, but it's, it's totally, it's like an optional thing if you want the ability to do retro hunt. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think already, you know, some people would be listening to this. And I think one of the issues with the big mail providers, I mean, they've got their advantages, right? Which is that everybody gets the same detection. So they're motivated to make sure that they work well, etc. But, you know, sometimes something good might not be getting through and you can't change the detection rules that they're using or something bad might be getting through and you can't change the thing. You know, so just sometimes I know people have been frustrated because they just want to make a change to the the detections that are being applied to their email. And, and you know, you can do that with Sublime, right? So that's like the uh, one of the killer features there. Um, yes. Now, this is available as a cloud service and as an on-prem service, right? We've got a couple deployment models. So our cloud, like standard SaaS, um, or you could deploy it to your cloud. Um, and, and we actually also support Docker containers. So like you could literally spin this up on a VPS or even on your laptop, uh, run it on your personal mail. And um, Can you run so, yeah, it on we, a Raspberry we, Pi? I'm just joking. Yes, fine. yes, you can. You actually can. There was a Reddit thread asking about, about this and you can run it on a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> oh man. That's funny. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, yes. Now, 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 another question. Like, so, so I know a big pain point for a lot of people is stuff like phishing remediation. You know, are you handling that stuff in a different way to others? Yes. Okay. So we've got actually a really cool set of features for this. So the first and probably coolest thing is we can ingest user reports from basically any source that you get them as an organization. So if it's like Microsoft's like, you know, report phishing button or the Gmail report phishing button, or you got a third party tool or an abuse mailbox, we'll slurp that up. We'll go and retrieve the original message with all the headers intact. And then we can do a few really cool things with that. So the first thing we can do is run what we call triage rules over those messages. So this is like the same sort of detection capabilities that we've got running over live email flow. You can run on user reports and you can auto triage those with those. So you could say if two or more users report the same campaign, for example, and we do some grouping of campaigns. So even if it goes to a bunch of different users separately, we'll group those together. And, and you can say, if you know two or more users report the same campaign, auto-remediate that and give my team time to review it. And, and I'm guessing auto-remediation you means that. reaching into those inboxes and just nuking those messages, right? Exactly. And and you could you could do things like insert a warning banner, you got flexibility. Like the whole theme is basically you've got control over your email environment and you can decide what you want to happen. What sort of verticals is this proving popular in? Because I'm guessing it's got reasonably broad appeal, but across different verticals, but it's going to be more like tech forward companies. That's just my gut feeling, is that right? We are actually seeing adoption across what you historically wouldn't consider um, tech forward. So we see we see both. So, so this is we, your polite way of saying no. You're completely <laughs> wrong. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we we do see. We definitely do see like tech forward companies like you know it's like Spotify and whatnot. Yeah, I was thinking then, like the Silicon Valley set would love this. Yeah, That's just what I was thinking, right? Hundred like, percent. Yeah. But we've we've also got less Silicon Valley esque companies like retail folks like in, in in those verticals as well that are just looking for a way to steer the ship. So everyone's got the got that problem, and um, so yeah, we we see adoption across basically both. Yeah. All right. All right. And any particular verticals that are just like super popular or retail? We see like financial sector. We see like insurance companies. Basically and it's funny because everyone says financial because they spend big on security, right? So that's everyone's they, big vertical. 
they do and, and like they just make very large transactions too so like the risk of bec and invoice fraud and these types of things are just like super high on their list of concerns so i gotta to ask too like we've spoken a lot about threat detection but how are you handling the bec problem because i know that caused the major providers some headaches in the past we have taken, you know, like tens of thousands of confirmed, you know, labeled attacks across our, our user and customer base and trained machine learning models on that. Um, and one of the things that makes the detection as code approach unique is that you can be very targeted in, in what you're looking for. Out of the box, if you turn Sublime on, is a natural language understanding model that will analyze the content of the message and it will classify the intent. So it'll look at, you know, what is this user trying to do? And does it resemble something that we've seen in this prior labeled data set uh, that's, that resembles BEC? So that's like the first thing that we do. The second thing coming out of that, you know, NLU model again is tone. So is there a sense of urgency? Is there, you know, some kind of financial request being made in the message? And then we can combine all of those signals with context about the message so well that's when you look at the headers and go does this ip stick out for some reason you know like i'm guessing that i'm guessing if you get an indication that like something is you know financial and urgent you know it's urging some sort of transaction and it's a weird ip like that's a pretty high confidence indicator right yeah i mean ip reputation is it used to be like a very high signal but the email providers like google and microsoft have gotten relatively good at identifying like poor IP reputation. And like, that's one of the things that- So by the time at. you're seeing it, it's not, by it's, the, time the IP is good. It, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not as big of, it's not as big of a signal. So like, we'll see a lot of attacks coming from like free mail providers, Gmail accounts, or a recently registered domain, but it's being sent through a mass mailer like SendGrid or, you yeah. know, constant contact. And so we'll leverage all of those signals and, and say, is this like normal behavior for your environment? Is this like a n- recently, registered domain have we ever seen this domain before things like that and if all of those criteria come together then we can pop off a a detection or or auto remediate it so the really cool thing though is that all of these like primitives are all accessible so you can basically build on top of this as, as much as you want so you can tune it you can add exceptions you can piece the logic together in other ways if you want to so that's really like where a lot of the control comes in too I'm guessing you can make the rules different depending on the user group as well, right? So you can introduce yes. more paranoid BEC rules for your finance team, which is, you know, again, this yes. is an advantage of not being a black box. Yes, that is a super common use case, which is we're going to target this set of detection rules to this highly targeted team or, or group. So one of the things we'll do is we'll sync with the your your tenant and we'll pull in all of this context so we'll say here's all your user groups here's you know we'll pull in with azure ad like these are all the vips and this is the finance group and so you can say yeah exactly like you said if if it's going to the finance team and it's got if a it word doc with macros. Like yeah. yeah, exactly. It's it, yeah. And Whereas then, if it's and going like, to some call center person, eh. Right. Yeah. Eh. Who's got the crown jewels? Throw the kitchen sink at them because I want I they are highly targeted. They've got sensitive data. Um, and so hundred percent. 
Yeah. All right, Josh Kamju, thank you so much for uh, joining me to talk us through Sublime. Uh, we've signed you up as a sponsor for next year, so you'll be uh, you'll be back on the show throughout 2024. Uh, great to get you out here for the for the first go round, and um, yeah, all the best with it. Can't wait. Thanks so much, Patrick. That was Josh Kamju from Sublime Security. There, find them at sublime.security. Our next snake oiler is Volncheck. As you'll hear, this is a pretty simple pitch. Volncheck is an intelligence provider that can tell you what bugs are being exploited out there and which ones you need to prioritize. Uh, Volncheck's customer base is split between very large enterprises, governments, and security vendors uh, that use Volncheck's database to uh, or data feed to help customers prioritize. So here's Volncheck's founder, Anthony Bettini, with the pitch. Volncheck is an exploit intelligence company and we help enterprises, government organizations, and cybersecurity vendors solve the vulnerability prioritization challenge. Organizations struggle with figuring out which vulnerability they need to patch and which to patch quickly and which ones they can they defer until they have more capacity, and we help with that problem. I mean, this is funny. I mean, I had a, had a conversation quite recently with uh, Scott Kufa from Nucleus, just about how vulnerability management has kind of become interesting again. People are caring about it again. And it really is that prioritization issue. It seems like on desktops, you know, patching and whatnot is, is mostly a solved issue, but it's all the other stuff and there's so much of it. And keeping on top of that and patching everything just isn't feasible. So this, this prioritization stuff is kind of essential now, isn't it? It, it definitely is. And, you know, as, as listeners of your show would know that, you know, lots of threat actors exploit IoT vulnerabilities all the time. And, you know, you can't install an EDR product on the IoT device. You know, patch management with, you know, Windows desktop patching solutions doesn't really work either. You know, it, it definitely requires a different solution. Yeah, not to mention, yeah, web applications and, uh, you know, your more obscure enterprise apps and whatnot as well, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So how do you go about cobbling together intelligence on what's being exploited and turning that into something that's kind of actionable? And I'm guessing too, that you're providing intelligence on stuff that's likely to be exploited and that's going to go a little bit deeper than CVSS. So if you could walk us through like your, your process, that'd be, uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So one is we have this fully autonomous system in software that's monitoring lots and lots of data sources. Um, and that, that includes national vulnerability databases, certs, government alerts, uh, also includes exploit database like PacketStorm, also includes places where exploit POCs show up like GitHub or Giddy or GitLab or Bitbucket. We'll also monitor all the CNAs, everything from Siemens to Mozilla, all the operating system vendors, and all the major programming language package manager ecosystems like Maven or NPM. We'll also track you know, what uh, applications or operating systems are end of life. So we're trying to take a multi-dimensional approach to both vulnerability intelligence and exploit intelligence, like what's really being exploited in the wild. And where are your best quality signals for that stuff? Where do they come from, right? Because, you know, of all of those sources, I mean, okay, you can look at the CISA-Kev list, right? And that's going to be one source for you. But I'm guessing a lot of this is going to be, I guess, what you'd call in a media context, original reporting, right? And, and, and how do you go about that? Yeah, yeah. So today we actually offer two products to, take, to examine kind of each dimension of this problem. So we have, we have this exploit and vulnerability intelligence product which really focuses on the open source intelligence 
of what's going on out there. And you know, you mentioned the CISA Kev list. We're tracking hundreds of vulnerabilities as exploited in the wild that aren't even on the Kev list. And in terms of the ones that are on the Kev list, there's really no way to know why it's there. I think people have a lot of assumptions of why it shows up in the CISA Kev list, but there isn't kind of an explicit reference or citation. Um, everything in our exploited in the wild list does actually have a citation, a date, a URL, and can be independently verified. I, I would say within that product, this open source intelligence product, we effectively become uh, a reference or a citable source in the sense that whether it's in the CISA Kev list or the UK equivalent or you know other um, exploit POCs we see show up on GitHub or Giddy, these all show up in our feed in effectively near real time. And so it, it doesn't really matter whether it's in Kev or it's being reported in the wild by gray, some gray noise sensor. In, in any of these cases, it effectively shows up in our feed to customers. And that's on the OSINT side. Um, on the proprietary side, we have what we call an initial access intelligence product where we try to effectively front run Kev. So as we see new vulnerabilities get released that we think are likely to be exploited in the wild, we actually write exploit POCs for them, collect PCAPs of what those what exploitation looks like on the wire, write Suricon and Snort rules, uh, map this back to census, show to inquiries, and gray noise tags to see what the attack surface looks like. And you, and you wait for it to pop, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um. So you know, we've talked a little bit about uh, you know, the information that you're collecting and how you're collecting it. Like, what do you then use that information to provide customers with? Is it just a data source? Are you providing products, integrations? Like, what's the next? You know, what's the yeah. delivery bit from Volncheck look like? Yeah. Yeah. That makes. Yeah, yeah. Totally get it. Yeah. So we're effectively providing data over an API to our customers in near real time. Uh, today, we sell to large enterprises, government organizations, and other cybersecurity vendors, and we power a lot of the products out there, uh, whether that's attack surface management products, uh, application security products. Uh, we power government processes on notifications and alerting. We power uh, enterprise processes around AppSec, vulnerability management, and threat intel. So it's really up to them how they want to use that, uh, that data. I, exactly. I think in some some sense or form, it does largely boil back to this vulnerability prioritization problem, though, in the sense that, you know, even if you're a detection and response team, you know, which which signatures rules should we even be writing to block, you know, or detect which vulnerabilities? Or on the product side, you know, helping customers uh, remediate the, those vulnerabilities most likely to be exploited in the wild or those that are already being exploited in the wild. So I can imagine, like you mentioned attack surface measurement, I think that's an interesting one because, you know, in that case, you could ingest this information and, I don't know, turn those alerts, alerts for hits on those particular vulnerabilities, turn them bright red, make them flash, that sort of thing, right? I, I guess that's the that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. I, I think um, we're both kind of a consumer of information out there and also a producer. And I think what's kind of interesting about us is we stitch all of these disparate sources together and uh, normalize it and aggregate it in a way that's easy for other people to consume. And in, a, uh, in the case of exploitation in the wild, that could be by stitching together all these disparate sources on on sensors that other people are picking up, 
but it also could be things like mapping vulnerabilities to MITRE attack or to MITRE attack patterns or mapping threat actors to CVEs. We have lots of kind of interesting data sets that help responding to vulnerabilities be a little bit more digestible for, for people out there. Now, we've spoken about how the primary use case here is for prioritizing the remediation of vulnerabilities. What is that, like what are the bugs that really are making people jump and move immediately? Like, is it pretty much as soon as something is flagged in your data source as being a big deal, they go after it or are there, or are there particular types of bugs and particular types of problems that your customer set is using, to, um, using this to fix? I would say that on the customer side of things, they're mainly focused on the vulnerability problem at scale, meaning like uh, dozens and dozens of vulnerabilities come out and, and get published So, so it really is day. a matter of just saying, okay, this is we're going to work on this list um, of these vulnerabilities that are present in our org and in the Volncheck data. So it's not like they're, they're taking a subset of those and, and, and working on them. Uh, we, we see every behavior you can imagine. So, yeah. so for instance, we support some of the industrial control system security products out there. And, and from their perspective, maybe they're only interested in OT vulnerabilities or the exploitation of OT vulnerabilities. Whereas in other cases, we're dealing with AppSec products that do software composition analysis, and all they really care about is you know, Maven, NPM, PyPy, and th these kinds of vulnerabilities. So we, we allow the data to be sliced and diced kind of any way they want to do it. But, but ultimately, what we bring to the table is which of these vulnerabilities are either being exploited in the wild, have exploit POCs, have some level of exploit maturity that is trending in some direction that they, they should be caring about. So how much of your business is end users actually buying this information themselves versus vendors sort of uh, offering this to their customers? Because I can just see that from an integration perspective, like there's a lot of different security tools out there where they could make use of this data. So I'm just sort of curious what the, what the business looks like, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I would say it's a healthy mix of, of cybersecurity vendors, government organizations, and very large enterprises. I, I would say where we are a fit. I mean, that's it's, it's that's the second time you've said very large enterprise, and I and I get that because I'm guessing at a at a sort of regular enterprise, uh, Mar and Par enterprise, <laughs> right? <laughs> just just not extremely large. There might not always be a team at a regular enterprise to sort of handle this sort of information, and they but they would be able to use it through their vulnerability management tools or through their you know code security tools or whatever, right? So it. So is that is that how it breaks down? Like you, if you're a mega enterprise, you can kind of use this stuff yourself. If not, it might be a check the box option with some of your other tooling. I, I think that's probably is, is an accurate way. Just to add a little bit more color though, what I would say is that um, very large enterprises, they do behave different from all the other enterprises in yeah. the sense that if you look at you know some of the largest banks in the world and you compare them to say a utility company, the utility company, you know, they want to log into a SaaS portal. They want to drive workflows from that portal. Possibly they want it on premise, but 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 it's a traditional kind of uh, SaaS experience, even if it's living on premise. Whereas in the case of these very large organizations, you know, whether that's a government entity or some of the largest banks in the world, how how they operate is is really on data. Um, they have custom reporting systems, custom orchestration systems, you know, homegrown somewhat of everything, and, and they don't want another portal to log into. They want better data to make better decisions. And so I, I would say we're a fit with that. 
All right. Well, Anthony Patini, thank you so much for joining us to walk us through Volcheck. Very interesting stuff. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That was Anthony Bettini from Volncheck there. Big thanks to him for that. And you can find Volncheck at volncheck.com. Our next snake oiler is one we've heard from before a couple of years ago, Devicey. Devicey is an Australian company that has built a product around Microsoft's Intune. Uh, and as you're about to hear, Microsoft is now getting behind them. Intune is an amazing bit of plumbing that can be used to manage all sorts of devices, uh, but Let's be honest, out of the box, it can be quite difficult to use. So Martin McGregor founded Devicey to make Intune actually usable. And, uh, you know, what's funny is there doesn't really seem to be a typical customer for Devicey. It's all over the map, which is probably because, you know, everyone has to run and manage devices and it's always a pain, no matter what size you are. Uh, And work from home has complicated this even further. So their customers are anyone, you know, from schools to large enterprise, right? Uh, Anyway, the idea with Devicey is you just tell them what apps you want on your devices and they make it happen. And uh, over the last couple of years, they've done a bunch of engineering work to make their own tooling at the back end work much, much better. So now when a customer says, hey, can you roll out this app to our users? The process is very, very simple. Uh, Eventually, they're going to make those tools customer facing. uh, But to be honest, it's not really something people are asking for at the moment. They're quite happy just to say, can you add support for X, Y, Z? So yeah, customers like letting the devicey gnomes do all of the work once they submit a uh, app support request. Anyway, all this engineering work means that devicey is ready to scale. Uh, so here is Martin McGregor talking all about devicey and its uh, new relationship with Microsoft. We operate really as a service. So that makes us a little bit different in the market. Um, we're not just tools that people consume uh, to build their own solutions. Uh, you come to Devicey when you really want to outsource that function or you want to work with specialists in, in that domain. Right. So the guts of it is that Intune, unless you're a very large company, can be a little bit difficult to use. I mean, that's essentially, if you had to boil it down to like brass tacks, that's the thing you're trying to fix, right? Yeah, we, we want a really, uh, a really comprehensive security model and a really great operational model for end, for end users. And that's actually much more difficult to achieve than most people appreciate, especially before they attempt to do the project. But we still do have very large enterprise companies that use Devicey, and they still have end user compute teams. They just will play a different role. And instead of them building and maintaining all the infrastructure, they'll just use Devicey for that. Now, over the last couple of years, uh, you took a Series A investment and you've been working on a few things. You've worked on getting ready for scale, right? So that you can bring on more and more customers. And the second thing you've worked on is making the back end of your thing uh, easier to use, right? So when a customer says, hey, we want to roll out this app to all of our endpoints, that's a much easier process for you now. I believe also the plan is eventually to allow customers to get an ac- access to a prettier version of that of that backend. Is that right? So it'll be sort of self-service. Yeah, and you know, f- largely it is already. So once the customer's onboarded, they they've got a portal they go to where they can request apps, decide where they want those deployed in the organization, and even request new apps. So um, rather than investing and in building their own bespoke solutions, they're coming to Devicey so they can use it essentially an off-the-shelf products that you know meets and exceeds the requirements that they you know, could typically typically achieve by themselves. 
All right. Now, I was going to ask you about the local admin thing, right? Because this is actually something that a lot of your customers have been using Devicey to do, which is, you know, once you've got Intune managed endpoints, you can start really tackling the local admin issue. This is something that your customers are using you to do, right? 100%. Yeah. So there's some really important prerequisites before you can manage local admin effectively. You have to be, be able to make sure that you can provision the system make it completely operational without an, an admin needing to do anything. So that has to be completely automated. And that includes app management. So all of the applications that an employee needs need to be able to be configured and deployed without anyone being an administrator. And once you're at that point, then we can tackle things like local admin privileges. So when they, they onboard, we have a, a workflow that we take them through where we bring them to maturity reasonably quickly. So they might not even appreciate the, the, the sequence um, that we operate and why we do those things, but it's so that we can get them to those outcomes really quickly without them really noticing. So one of the things is helping them, um, like we said before, onboard apps and manage that those themselves through the portal. So no one needs to in install them anymore. Once we've got those prerequisites, we can execute on that. And there's some other things that we need to be able to provide. So what happens is a customer will say, hey, listen, we request local admin on this device. They'll actually work with our, our customer success team who will provide that to them in a, in a safe way. So for example, they want to risk accept that this particular user is going to be a local admin. That is represented in our, in our console. They can see that risk accepted user, um, but they can also see all the unexpected admins that shouldn't be there. Click on those and start working through resolving those and, and, and getting them compliant. Plus there's other things that we do. So if they say, um, hey, listen, you know, we need local admin for this purpose, we built a lot of capabilities so that they don't need local admin, they can still achieve most things. So our support team will help them uh, achieve those. But then even if it comes down to it and uh, admin absolutely needs to get access to a system, we, prov we provide our customers the key vault that creates uh, credentials for every system uh, and they can be retrieved by the, an administrator for any system. It'll be a unique password. It'll change after they've used it. It's got all those nice um, um, security capabilities, but we have to make it operational. So there's a lot of things that we do so that the so, business so can still So you sort of baked run. in some like automated PAM in there as well? Yeah, well, we used to have our own version of LAPS, um, local admin password service, um, but we've retired that now and we've, we're making use of Microsoft's one that sits on, on top of Intune. So we, we essentially automate that for our customers now, yeah. Yeah, that whole yeah. thing. Now, look, speaking of Microsoft, uh, you've done a deal with them. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've just been, we've gone through this quite ex incredible uh, experience of being assessed for the Pegasus program, Microsoft Pegasus program, which uh, you know, I was quite surprised to find that we've we've managed to get in. That's, that's quite a thing for you know, a small Australian startup. Um, but I, I think the real reason for that is uh, we solve a problem that's on Microsoft's radar and something that they've identified this year, which is the challenge for small to medium businesses to get effective outcomes on Intune for their their organizations that are you know affordable. So um, that's where we're really strong. Microsoft recognized that, and this program is really about um, you know we're really coast already, so you can buy Mark, you can buy Devicey through Microsoft, but really expanding our capacity to take on more of their customers and particularly in other regions around the world. So the Pegasus uh, program, I mean, I think you get like a bunch of Azure credits, right? Which is one nice thing, but it's also sales support, isn't it? 
It's it's sales support. It's it's um, go to market support, but it's actually resources that they allocate to us. So we even get a solution architect allocated to us from Microsoft. So we have an interface into Microsoft. So it's a bit of a two way thing. We want to be able to give our customers a better experience on Intune than they can achieve for themselves, and this relationship allows Microsoft to support us better so that we can support our customers better with Intune as well. So they're backing you because of the small to medium business use case. But as you said as well, you're selling into enterprise. So where is, like, is there a typical sort of size of people who are buying in? I'm guessing not though, because like desktop management is something everybody needs. And I'm guessing, you, yep. would, yeah, as you said, you're still going to get big customers coming along when they can't be bothered doing all of the engineering that you need to do to make Intune work properly. Yeah, exactly. And look, when we spoke last, we could we only really could afford to take on enterprise customers. You know, that's where we were at as a business. But as we've been able to increase our scalability and we've been able to change our pricing model, um, we can take on customers of any size. And one of the particular focuses for us has been schools for that reason. Schools is an area that I wanted to help for a long time because it's a gap. It's really hard for them to find experienced IT people, especially experienced Intune professionals, and it's quite expensive to get good outcomes there. So we've been able to service schools that you know can't pay as much as large enterprises. Yeah. Now, um, another big use case, I'm guessing, I mean, I, you know, I mentioned local admin and whatever, but, you know, the, the look, just generally well-managed endpoints is great, but also just patching. Patching yeah. is just such a big thing. I mean, I'm guessing you would have some enterprises coming to you just because you make that part of it easier, right? You know, patching is a 25-year endeavor for me now. I've been fiddling yeah. with this this thing, you know, and it's it's amazes me that it's as challenging as ever for organizations and maybe even more challenging. You know, back to having uh, com- complete ownership of this solution and, and working in a way that gets us outcomes. We've just designed as devices so that we can get much better patching outcomes than if we didn't manage the device. You know, if, if we were a tool that you would use to orchestrate patching, you couldn't get the outcomes that we do because we're onboarding the devices and we're managing them from when they're first built as well. So we have absolute visibility of every device. So the 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 challenge for patch management in, and you know keeping organizations up to date for me is that there's always a gap and something I've experienced over my whole career. There's always, you know, the order is always asking about what are the, about the devices that you don't have an agent on? You know, what's their status? And, you know, that could be 3% of your organization, but if you've got thousands of devices, it's a lot of devices to that to have out of compliance. So um, we've been able to make headway in a, in, a, in a sort of an absolute way where we can get really 100% compliance for, for patching because of this holistic approach to how we manage devices for our customers. And that's happened. That's application and operating system and security patches. All right. Well, Martin McGregor uh, from Devicey, thank you so much for joining us to give us an update on where you're at with it all. So, yes, if anyone listening would like their uh, devices managed via Intune, uh, you can head over to devicey.com. Cheers, Marty. Thank you so much. That was Marty McGregor there with his pitch for Devicey. Big thanks to him for that. And you can find Devicey at devicey.com, D-E-V-I-C-I-E.com. And that is it for this edition of Snake Oilers. I do hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with more Risky Biz News and Analysis. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening.